name is Ramona Cedeno. I'm a CPA and accounting consultant. My firm, Hybrid Financial Services, provides support with general accounting functions in addition to the setup of master data, financial data migration, and staff training post-implementation of new accounting systems. I am truly honored to have Sean Wendell with me today as our guest speaker. Sean is the founder of management and management principal of ERP Advisors Group based in Denver, Colorado. Sean advises mid to large size businesses on selecting and implementing business applications from enterprise resource planning, customer relationship management, human capital management, business intelligence, and other enterprise applications, which equate to millions of dollars in software deals each year across many industries. There are only a few people in the world with the practical experience that Sean has gained with helping hundreds of clients across many industries with selecting and implementing a wide variety of enterprise solutions. ERP Advisors Group is based in Colorado and is one of the top independent enterprise software advisors firms to help clients navigate the confusions of accounting, enterprise resource planning, and all other major enterprise software selections and implementations. They don't get paid by vendors. Their 100% focus is on ensuring your success with your enterprise software projects. Today, Sean will answer some of the questions that you might have if you believe you have outgrown your accounting software and are considering a switch. Questions like, what are the best solutions in the market for your business? And how can you make sure you don't select the wrong application might come to mind. During the course of today's webinar, Sean will cover these questions and others that he typically gets from his clients. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Ramona, for your introduction. And um, hopefully the sound is okay there. Ramona, does everything sound good from your side? Yes, it does. Perfect. Okay, good. Um, so, so as Ramona um, introduced me, I should mention that uh, uh, Ramona, as you can see from the slide that's up, um, runs a, a great financial services firm. They basically do tons of great things to help out clients as listed here from uh, month-end closed financial reporting, temporary accounting and finance staff and cash flow management. And a lot of times organizations just need some help from an outside expert to get through the financials. And that's, um, that is what Ramona's firm does. So Ramona has uh, tons of great experience um, and, you know, really a lot of practical background, which, which is great because that's, I think, why we partnered for this webinar because, you know, our firms are very focused, both of them, on helping clients out with accounting and, and, and systems issues. So it's a really good combination. So thanks again, Ramona, for having us today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, as Ramona said, we, uh, she mentioned a lot about about uh, my firm, ERP Advisors. Um, you know, we're 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 I'm most proud of our relationship with our clients. We we make uh, software projects a success, and and in our industry, that's not easy to do. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, every client we have is, is referenceable. Some of them will tell you about the pains that we've had, which are honest, which I appreciate. Um, but they will all say that they have implemented software solutions, and a lot of times. Uh, um, that sometimes is a uh, um, uh, lucky. <laughs> um, bottom line is implementing software is not easy. So uh, that's basically what we do is help clients ensure that they're successful. Um, but I'm most proud of too is that you know we really do have a lot of partners and folks throughout the market that refer us. And others, and uh, that's kind of how I look at our success: is how many folks uh, want to refer us to some of their uh, clients or even their friends. And we're we're fortunate to get a lot of that kind of business from. Okay, so today we are talking about what to do when you outgrow your accounting system or accounting software, and um, what we have found over. Um, about 20 years of me personally doing this, but combined over 100 years with our senior team here at ERP Advisors, is that there's basically four reasons why organizations outgrow accounting software. Um, the first reason is growth. Then we have regulatory and legacy technology and new leadership. 
Um, along the way with the slides too, you'll notice that there'll be some uh, tips in the bottom right corner. Those are some nuggets to take from our presentations for sure. So uh, really pay attention to those. I, I may touch on them, I may not, but they're there to really, really help you out if you're going through this process. So as I said, um, in, in our experience, these four reasons are really about the only four reasons why it makes sense to switch. I challenge everybody on the call, of course, to um, send us an email. Let us know if there's some other reason that you've run into. But in our experience, um, if a company is growing, meaning they have more organic growth, they just have more transactions that they have to manage, um, or they're offering new products or services or selling to new markets, they're going international or even going in different parts of the country, um, or potentially even bringing on a new uh, business line. Maybe there's been an acquisition, uh, oil and gas company we're working with right now acquired a um, different kind of oil and gas company, and that was a new business line for them. So they're looking at new software. And definitely M&A activity goes with, uh, with growth too. So that's a that's a great reason. And and usually that growth driver is the most frequent reasons why um, controllers, CFOs, CEOs, uh, VPs of sales, uh, CIOs, directors of IT talk to us about changing software. It really goes down to growth that they basically outgrew their existing system. We do another presentation called what to do when you outgrow QuickBooks because that's um, what ends up happening a lot. But growth is a great reason to switch your software. Uh, legacy technologies. So we're we're working with a um, a large steel distributor right now that is on a twenty year old system. The uh, um, uh, director of IT who was part of writing it wants wants to retire. <laughs> he doesn't want to be there anymore. And um, uh, the application itself was written on an, an older platform that very very few people know. So um, legacy technology and replacing that is a great reason to uh, uh, to switch out your accounting software. It's, it's interesting because like that last bullet there says doesn't do what it's supposed to do anymore, too, that the app could have been built in a in a, um, a mindset of what the business was 20 years ago. And hopefully most businesses have evolved since then. A couple other reasons, too, for, for changing um, why software, I outgrow your software regulatory. Uh, we're seeing this a lot right now. We were just meeting with a software company yesterday that is um, going to be impacted by the ASC 606 changes for how the um, AICPA is um, standardizing new policies around revenue recognition. And most applications, most software applications are not able to meet those needs. Now, you have Intact and NetSuite. Um, that are probably leading the way and um, some Oracle products that are leading the way with ensuring those new accounting rules are built into their applications. But if you have an old app, like an old, uh, we have some clients that say that's a, a technology firm that happens to be running on a Microsoft Dynamics GP or Great Plains, which is really more of an inventory application. And yet they're running it for software, which basically means if they're in the software business, that they're doing all their regulatory reporting manually. So they have waterfall spreadsheets and that kind of thing. Um, and again, um, the spreadsheets are, are risky and you might outgrow even the spreadsheets because they do blow up in that. So um, you want to build in those regulatory compliance policies into the application. That's a great reason to switch software. And then the last one is um, you have uh, folks that come into the organization that are new. A uh, new CEO comes in. There's a new executive. And um, they, they wish to put into place a system that helps them to understand their business better. We're working with a recruiting firm, uh, about a $100 million uh, per year firm, so good-sized firm, um, that has a new CEO. And, and he doesn't necessarily trust the existing software because it's a kludge, and he should have some concerns about it. So he wants to um, automate manual processes for sure and, and ensure that the system tracks and has good reporting in place. You know, and another thing that happens under new leadership, it kind of is related to M&A activity, but we have um, we have private equity firms, venture capital firms that buy um, our clients. Sometimes we even work with some of these firms that then say, you know, we really need you to run on Microsoft Dynamics Nav or whatever the app is that they have a lot of experience and trust with. So, so the key point here is if it's not one of these four reasons on why you're looking at software, it might not be the right decision to make. And as we say here on our tip, don't change software unless you have to, because it's it's a mess. It's risky. Um, it's difficult. 
Um, you know, uh, honestly, in our industry, it's it's a bit uh, shameful to be honest with you that that the majority of projects don't go, they don't meet their initial uh, uh, business drivers as to why they were they were decided to go. It'd be like, you know, putting a million dollars into a um, a machine if you're a manufacturer and you get it, you put it in place, and well, it only produces half of what it was supposed to do. Like what? No, that you can't do that, right? Well, software you can. So it's very important that you are going out of your application for the right reasons. And again, these are some of those right reasons. So, okay, you decide that you got the right reasons to change software. Now what do you do? Um, and, and, and this is kind of the, the process that we take clients through that says, I, you know, I've got one of these four things going on from the last slide. Now, how do I really get uh, what I need in place to make that change occur successfully? And, and this is basically the battle plan for doing that. Um, the key thing here, again, this EAG tip number two, don't contact software vendors until you need, until you know what you need. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. So the basic steps, once you know, um, once you know you got to do something, you got a good driver, the first thing you do is understand your current scene. And what we mean by that is, let's say we're talking about accounting software. So um, you happen to be the lucky or unlucky soul um, who has identified this need for change. And it really fits in your realm, right? Before, again, you contact vendors, you talk to your stakeholders, um, this is what you should do. So take a look at what's currently happening with your existing software. So let's just say as a scenario of QuickBooks. And, um, you know, you're probably very familiar with, with the close process, accruals, um, you know, month-end close journal entries, all that stuff that happens. Maybe you've got a team of people underneath you that are doing more details, fine. Um, but, you know, there's also probably some upstream processes that feed into the accounting system that you may or may not have visibility into, for instance, all the way up to sales that's selling contracts to customers and um, over to HR that's doing payroll. Like, you know, it's worth it to just spend a little bit of time to look across the whole scene is what we call it, your business application ecosystem, if you will, to see how things are flowing and how data is working and how, how happy are people with the tools that they're using. And that leads into the next bullet here, which says identify what's wrong and what's not working. So, you know, as you're looking at your procure to pay process, um, maybe there's a lot of um, approvals that need to get done and it's very manual. And so you've got uh, purchase order or yeah, vendor bills that you get that sit in people's inboxes and in their emails. And, uh, you know, uh, the people that need to approve those invoices are usually very busy and they get a lot of emails and they might not be inclined to approve that and get vendors calling and it's a problem. And so that might be an example of something that's wrong or something that's not working. Um, there could also be a lot of manual work that's required, like on the revenue side, on doing uh, RevRec, like we talked about, or just billings, or um, even getting simple um, customer invoices out that are accurate. You know, really figure out what's not working in your current scene. Then look at what your ideal scene is. So if everything worked, how would data flow? So if, you, if we take a services firm, and I'll try to give some examples across the industry, you know, ideally, when your folks enter time, let's say it's time and materials kind of an environment, they enter their time that's billable, and it gets approved by somebody who's pretty close to that individual and can verify that, yes, that should be billed to the client. And once it's approved, it flows on to an invoice, and the invoice is reviewed for, for accuracy, and then that goes out the door. Like, that's actually a great ideal scene for invoicing. A lot of times, there's a lot more steps that have to happen there, but... You really want to kind of step out of your kind of daily rut, if you will, your current scene to look at the ideal scene from a little bit higher level. And, and, and that really helps with understanding the direction where you want to go. Like I worked with a management consulting earlier in my career, and he called this the now, where, and how. So where are you now? Where are you going? And then the how is the rest of this. So the next step is to identify expected benefits and new software. So, okay, you understand where you want to go. Now, what, what are we really going to get from this new world? Uh, we're working with companies, several companies right now, in human capital management or uh, human resource information systems. 
uh, selections in that. And, you know, they look at the problems that they're having with payroll that they want fixed. They look at how can they optimize the, um, the employee life cycle. Um, so specifically like taking somebody that we're recruiting, um, get them all the way through the recruit process, track all the interviews that we have going on with them, any kind of evaluation scores or whatever, um, give them an offer in the system. The offer letters created within the system. Of course, it's modified for the specific individual that then goes starts onboarding, that then goes into um, getting their performance management set up and their payroll and their benefits. Like that's, you know, uh, there's a lot of benefits to saving time and um, confusions for a new HR software. So you kind of want to just bullet those out, make it super simple to say, hey, here's the benefits we expect. Because then you got to go to the next step here, uh, bullet number five, which is estimate the total cost of ownership. So here's the benefits. Well, what's this thing really going to cost? And notice we use this phrase, total cost of ownership, which is a bit of an IT-ish phrase, but but it's important here because it's not just the software. Well, of course, Sean, I know it's not the software. It's also the guys and gals that implement it. So there's the services. Yeah, that's right. That's good. That's good. That's good. But guess what? There's probably another 25 to 50% of costs sitting out there that you didn't even know about. That could be things like if you need to buy new hardware, and a lot of guys and gals are buying some SaaS solutions, software as a service, they sit in cloud. So that might not um, be applicable. But there's data migration skills that need to get. There's um, uh, working on customizing reports and you know, putting together, maybe you even pay your people a little extra for the implementation, like your internal team. Maybe you give them some bonuses that, that might help them when they're doing their day job plus the night job. So there's a lot of things that go into that total cost of ownership uh, calculation. So you want to take a look at that. Then it seems pretty obvious, right? But our sixth bullet down here is you need to estimate or ensure that the benefits exceed the cost. Now, we're not talking about like a Harvard business case here, right? But but it really does have to be pretty simple to say, you know, we really think that by shortening the time it takes to bring an employee on board from 45 days to 10, they're more effective in a shorter amount of time, you know, and what's the benefit of that? Um, and if it's a accounting software solution, okay, we can bring our clothes from um, 25 days down to five because we have new software and there better be some business process changes, by the way. But, um, you know, what's the benefit of getting information to the owners faster so that people are making better decisions? I mean, sometimes those benefits are a little hard to quantify dollar wise, but often you can come up with some really conservative estimates that are so obvious and so significant when you look at the cost that it's just a no-brainer to move forward with software. So so try to do your best you can there. And that's not quite enough yet because let's say you got a good business case and um, it turns out that you have an employee base that is used to using the same software for 20 years, like the steel distributor I mentioned earlier. We have a huge change management risk there, which is the, the current staff doesn't want to change the app and they won't like, they'll just say, I'm not using the new one. Okay. Well, you're fired. Well, we can't fire the whole organization. Right. So we have to think through really clever ways to, um, to manage the change management risks. So you really got to look at that at least a high level. And I'll give you an example here in a little bit of what that looks like, but you have to consider those change management risks as part of your case here. And finally, Go to your stakeholders with your homework done. You know, this is kind of like a, a business school project, I guess. But um, it, it also, uh, the instead of a CPA, it's the CYA, right? We want to make sure that if you're going to go ask somebody for a bunch of money, that one, you know what you're doing. And two, that you've thought through this fully. And three, that you're not setting yourself up for failure. So um, these are some really easy steps to go through to decide if you need to change software. And as we say here at the bottom, once you get that agreement from the key stakeholders, now start the selection. And um, I'd even say hold off on calling the vendors until um, you do a little bit more homework, but we'll get to that in a moment. So hopefully that makes sense. It's a lot. But um, if you'd like the presentation, please um, let Ramona know. We can get you a copy of this for sure. But it's good. Uh, it's a good, good plan to follow. Now what I'd like to do is show you some very simple examples 
of um, how to do what we just talked about. So this is an example for a wholesale distributor. And this is an example of documenting uh, what, what we called in the last slide, um, the, the what's wrong and what's not working. Well, all of these red diamonds are what's not working. So this is a very generic view that we've genericized from the client. But basically, it shows you have the ways that orders, it's a, basically an order management system. So you have orders entered into the system that lead to the order management app itself. Customer pricing comes in, item management comes in, items are shipped to uh, uh, fulfillment and then straight to the customer and invoicing um, fulfillment, customers, accounts payable. I mean, it's really kind of like their core accounting system, basically, with their fulfillment cycle listed here. And, and you know, if you can draw a simple picture of what the current scene is and then drop on something that shows that you got some pain points. That's really, really helpful. So, I mean, that's that's really our third tip here is really figure out what are your pain points? What's wrong? What's not working? And inventory those. And it doesn't have to be a lot of stuff, right? You can have 10 points. You can talk to a couple people, and in 10 minutes, you can write it on the back of a napkin if you want to. Um, but But just definitely identify what pain points you're trying to solve. That helps to understand kind of where you're going. Um, this example is is pretty good as well. It's a high-level view of a kind of a record-to-report process, you know, kind of taking an accounting uh, view. If you look at this diagram, it's actually their overall organization. They have services and software, HR down here. It's kind of a little hard to read because it's grayed out. But this particular slide was focused on their accounting processes. And this is something super easy you can do, right? You can use the old kind of school um, paradigm of giving them a grade for the process, you know, talk about. Uh, strength, weaknesses, opportunities gives some people gives more gives people an understanding of what's going on with the business process and what you're trying to to do. You know, recommendations can be really simple; doesn't have to be complex at all. Investment level, like this, is just a simple way of kind of bringing all that data into one slide. Um, this is a view, uh, another example of. Um, kind of a current scene, as I said earlier, and this kind of lays out a manufacturing uh, business processes all the way from sales to manufacturing. They have a couple different parts that they manufacture to um, material uh, requirements planning, kind of the planners group, forecasting, engineering, um, even all the way through um, the pick, pack, ship kind of processes, as well as HR and accounting. Like, that's a business right there. It's uh, for this this particular organization's a eighty million dollar manufacturer. So if it was one hundred and eighty million or an eight hundred million dollar manufacturer, the processes are still basically the same. So, so what we decided here, what this diagram was to show, was these are all of the processes that are impacted, and um, you know that's that really showed the client basically this is what portions of their business uh, the software was going to help automate. When we laid over um, the pain points on this picture, it's quite interesting here, it's on the next slide. We use this, this uh, color coordination of red, yellow, and green. This is actually a green color. It doesn't show up well on the screen. But we're basically saying, okay, here's all the key areas. Here's what you currently run. And um, here's the areas of your business where there's a lot of risk. And um, this is good because, you know, it's like, it's like a bull who sees red, right? When when a, when your senior executive sees that they have this much pain in the organization, um, they're going to want to do something about it. And of course, we had a list of those pain points that I showed you earlier to help substantiate why we'd use the colors that we did. Um, but it was really good because it was the first time the executives could look at this, could look at their business basically and say, you know, I felt this. I felt that our supply chain planning, you know, we just got a guy who's, who's been doing this forever and he's just doing it based off of his own experience, which is great. But, um, you know, we, we, what happens when he retires or engineering is doing a lot of manual work so that we don't have, yeah, we, we store files in box and their word docs, but we're not really tracking revisions in a way where we can go back and, and manage those or you know, even for a really large company in the accounting side, they have multiple books multiple currencies that they're managing and there's a lot of foreign currency translation that's happening manually. 
So, you know, putting that, um, putting that risk in front of them really helps folks to say, okay, you know what, we got to do something with this. So definitely recommend a process like that. And earlier I had mentioned uh, one of the steps after you have kind of the, um, uh, the current scene and the ideal scene kind of identified is to also look at your change management risks and mitigations and feel free to use this as a template, right? I mean, it's really straightforward. You've got the area of the business or the organization, nonprofit, uh, non-government agency. We've worked with everybody. Um, so you can put in kind of the area and then what the major risks are and then what the mitigation is. So we don't have to have a 30-page organizational change management assessment and tools and assignments and task lists and all that stuff. It, it, nobody, nobody has time for that. What this kind of a tool does, though, is it shows folks that you've thought about what the risks are and that you've also thought in terms of what the mitigations are. Now, implementing these is going to require some help for sure, but at least you've thought through it. So it's a really good, good, simple, use, um, easy tool to use. Um, we threw in this slide because when we start talking about costs, right, how do you know what the cost of a software solution is unless you talk to a software provider? And one of the earlier tips I said was don't call software providers yet, right? <laughs> so it's kind of a little chicken and egg thing. But, but the way we've solved that is we've said, well, how about this? I bet we can get some general pricing for software um, by the type of solution that we're looking at. Now, if we're looking at Dynamics AX versus um, SAP by design, well, we're going to need to go talk to an AX and to an SAP partner to figure out what the pricing is. But, but what if we actually bubble it up higher? And that's an example of what we did here for an, an organization that is kind of, a, they're in the food business, but e-commerce um, driven. Um, so very, it's a very uh, technical savvy company in a very traditional business model of, of basically um, putting together uh, meals for folks and sending them out. Um, and, and what we did for these guys, we kind of said like, look, if you want a financials application, this is what the financial application will do. It will do purchasing, it will do court counting, financial reporting, and financial analysis. That's it. And we can do some estimated pricing on that. Or, or and if you want a warehouse management solution that does inventory and warehouse, order management, fulfillment, that's something different. That's a different piece of software. It, it, it solves different types of business issues. And then in their particular industry, there happens to be an all-in-one application called uh, food processing manufacturers. Um, there's actually quite a few apps out there that just focus in on foods or there's uh, other applications like SAP or Oracle that have verticals that they sell specifically to. And those solutions work across all of the functions of the organization. So as you can imagine, the pricing for a financials app versus the pricing for a warehouse management solution versus the pricing for food process manufacturers, very different. So, you know, this helped us to kind of sort through with the client, like, what do you want? <laughs> um, and so it's really helpful to kind of then understand the types of solutions. So once, once you have the types, you can also kind of depict it this way to say, well, there's kind of an application that does everything. Then there's apps that can do each individual uh, functional area in the application. Or maybe there's applications that can do a group of functions um, within a single application. So like in this instance, we're looking at Salesforce, uh, Salesforce.com for um, marketing and sales partner portal and technical support, and then uh, manufacturing enterprise system to do really all the way from the order to production, shipping, engineering, planning, supply chain, accounting. And there's multiple apps that do that, and then it's separate HR systems. So, you know, this, this is a good way. Um, again, it, uh, the purpose of this presentation is really to give you so just some good. Uh, we call it mass on how do you take apart the software market? Well, this is one way to do it. You might have SAP um, uh, for HANA here. You might have Oracle eBusiness Suite or Lawson or some of the larger ERP apps that are there. 
they're large applications. They're expensive to implement, but they pretty much do everything. They might not do HR or something like that, but they pretty much do everything. Then you also have best-of-breed applications that you can go for that do pretty much everything, but they're separate apps. Um, and in our in our world right now, in our, our world of differentiation and uh, kind of mass customization, there's a lot of software solutions out there in the market. And so this this gives you a view of how to kind of layer in where an application fits. So if you look at something um, like uh, uh, John Galt is the name, of course, as a character from uh, <laughs> a very famous book called Atlas Shrugged, but there's an organization called John Galt that does supply chain planning. And so they fit under planning. And then there's organizations like... Um, uh, well, like Salesforce that does marketing and sales. And then there's partner portal solutions that are in the market and technical support solutions. So it gives you a good way to kind of segment out where applications fit. But honestly, when we're working with clients, I mean, our, our clients are usually in the, um, you know, mid-sized businesses. They can be very early stage, well-funded, all the way up to maybe um, $750 million to a billion. It's a, we cover a wide spectrum of, of organizations. Most of the folks that we work with end up with a hybrid solution where they do look to a Microsoft Dynamics CRM and a, uh, a more general ERP application to run the rest of their business. And maybe they have an HR solution also. Most of the organizations we work with end up in a hybrid. So that, that helps you kind of know what some of the types of solutions that are in the market. Because once you know that, then you can look at estimated pricing. So this is just cost of software, by the way. Um, and, and we know this because we do this for a living. But, you know, you can get a pretty good range of costs um, pretty easily. So, you know, like a single ERP, if it's a, if it's a $750 million um, wholesale distributor, it's going to be a lot more than $500 to a million. But you can get the concept that there's like a higher cost, a lower cost, medium cost. And you can kind of lay out the costs. Um, even just based off maybe a, a conversation or two with us, we can help with that. Um, if you want to call a vendor and just get an idea of what the costs are, you can do that too. But just make sure that you understand what they're offering and what type of solution they're selling. Because if you think that you're going to get everything when you talk to Salesforce, and they're not also mentioning financial force, you're not getting a financials app. And then you go and you present a business case, oh, it's only going to cost this much. And then you start the implementation, and it turns out you're missing a huge component of software. Don't do that. Please, please, please. That's why we recommend this. Here's the, all the areas of the organization that are impacted, and then here's how your specific software solution will fit in those areas. The vendors will help you to go through that too, but, um, but you really want to make sure that you get the, the, the best and accurate pricing that you can up front, not okay, my price is going to be exactly this amount. You don't know enough. Nobody knows enough to say that. But you do want to focus on the, the price estimate is built on this type of software and this type of software and this type of software. Okay, that's a lot. I'm throwing a lot at you guys. But you know what, what we continue to find is that the more informed our customers are, the more able they are to, um, and folks that we talk to, prospects or, or just folks that are on the call that, you know, are facing these issues, the more you know, the better off you're going to be. Um, one last example slide here, too. So when, when we talked about earlier that you got to know kind of the, the where you're going, this example shows the how to get there. So uh, for this particular organization, we kind of took their um, kind of current process, and I know that's super small, but that's basically their their overview of their, their business application ecosystem, how their processes fit together. We also call that the puzzle box because it's basically the view, the picture that you're building all this technology towards. It's actually quite clever, the puzzle box. I should copyright that. Remind me about that, Juliet. Okay, good. Write that down. Good. Okay, she's got it. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so, so for these guys, what we said was for phase one, um, that this was the applications that were the processes we wanted to automate, which was basically core financials. Then in phase two, they had a lot of invoicing and a lot of payables that they were doing. So we were looking for additional ways to automate those processes. 
<clears throat> but, you know, phase one just said, hey, let's just switch out QuickBooks and put in NetSuite in this particular instance. And then phase two added some bolt-on solutions that worked well with their NetSuite product and helped automate a lot of manual stuff, which then is nice then to go to phase three, which is multi, multi-company where they had other entities within their organization that they wanted to do roll-ups that they were doing in spreadsheets. So in phase three, we're saying, hey, bring this together so that you're bringing at least trial balances in from the other entities and can do multi-company reporting and consolidation in the app versus a spreadsheet. And then basically in phase four, we said we want to move this other business unit, which was a manufacturing um, portion, and they were more of a services version that we were working with. Let's move that into the app. And, you know, you can see here we've got approximate timing. Now, we're pretty aggressive with our timelines to say, hey, it can happen this fast, but it requires you to be very focused. Um, They're still in the process of phase three right now, and it's been a little bit more than 12 months, but they are moving in the right direction. But Again, a super easy way to just kind of communicate, hey, here's where we're taking this thing into the future. Good. So once you have kind of demonstrated for yourself that you know what you're doing and what you want and that there's benefits and that there's costs and the benefits exceed the cost and that the change management risks are okay and you know where you're going, then start the selection. So, you know, we're, we're a very open, collaborative firm, and this is basically our software selection methodology, um, one through six there. Every client that engages us to do a software selection, every selection we go through, we follow this process. Um, you can certainly read it for yourself here, and again, we can send this out. But um, some of the key points of the selection process that a lot of folks miss, <clears throat> the first one is, Um, always send an RFI, a request for information. Um, A lot of folks will put together requests for quote, um, but what we have found works the best is to send um, information about you, the company, why you're changing, and certainly the requirements and the demonstration script that you want to see. I'll talk about that in this next bullet. But you want to send that out to vendors so that the vendor can look at this and say, whoa, uh, I'm getting to know you, and it's and and you're not just relying on phone calls or site visits or meals or whatever things they're using to sell. You're really basing the the sales process, the selection based off what you need, and it also puts you more in control of the process. Um, software salespeople, we work with some great software salespeople, and some that aren't so great, and they can be pretty pushy, honestly, very pushy. Actually, they're kind of like the modern day car salesperson, to be honest with you. Because they, they're really out and they're aggressive and they want to sell software, which is great. But what if it's the wrong app for you or you don't really need it, right? So the RFI helps drive the process from your side. Um, once you kind of get through that RFI and you get some good responses back and you like them, then you do some demonstrations. We do two different kinds of demos. We do a mini demo, which is basically a beauty pageant where we want the, we want to see the app. Um, We want to see the guys and gals that are demoing it. We want to see what their experience is. We want to see what their industry acumen is. We want to meet them a little bit. And if it's good, then we take them to a final demo where we'll bring in a bigger team um, internally to go through a final demo. And that demo has got to be scripted. Definitely, definitely, definitely do not invite a vendor into your home, practically into your business or to your, your organization. And, um, and, and let them just show you the software. It's a waste of time. And I really mean that. What you have to do is say, this is what you have to show us. And if you can't show us that, that's okay. Don't come. Like, it literally, you really need to run it that tightly. Because otherwise, the vendors will come in and they will show you amazing things. But the only problem is you don't need it. So just focus on what you need and have them show that. And then on that final demo also, um, you really only should bring in a couple folks, maybe two, maybe three vendors. Um, if you bring in more people on site than that, you're wasting this, the, the stakeholders' time, to be honest with you. Um, it's so confusing. Um, you know, I, I, I sit in, my team especially sits in a lot of demos every week. And we can tell the differences between the same app being demoed by two different partners. Like we, we see that, but that's just because that's what we do for a living. Very, very rarely do our clients fully understand, honestly, what they're seeing in a demonstration. So the more you do that, 
um, the more the other people that you're bringing in from the organization are going to resent you. <laughs> because you're basically, if you have two to three vendors even that are coming on site, you're wasting their time on one to two of those meetings because you're not going to select them. So the better you can vet that the finalists down to the minimum and still give the share the stakeholders a chance to be part of the decision process, definitely the better. Then once you figure out which app you like the most from the final demo, then we have a we do a, a what we call final selection due diligence process. But a really key thing here is meet the implementation resources. That's one of these drill down discussions that we have. You really want to meet the team that's going to be working with your team through the implementation. And um, that's that's super, super important. So those are some some good tips on uh, on selection. So I, I want to shift the gears here. And we're just about done with the content of our slides um, and, and talk a little bit about the accounting software landscape. Like what apps are out there and what's a good way to kind of understand the accounting um, application scene. And this is a really easy way to understand what's happening in the market these days. There's, there's basically four tiers of applications. You have kind of starting from the bottom, kind of the, you know, keep the books uh, for one company, pretty straightforward accounting requirements, and definitely QuickBooks, QuickBooks Online, um, Sage 50, used to be called, formerly known as Peachtree, Myob. You also see like FreshBooks and um, um, some of those other uh, accounting seed is another one. Zero, maybe they do a little bit more, but not a lot. I mean, they're really meant for businesses of 10 people and under, right? That's and, and even though we have clients that are a hundred million dollars in revenue that are running QuickBooks. Um, that's another story. They do a lot of stuff manually. Um, that's called job security. <laughs> but but the tier four is kind of the 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 smaller apps. And then over here on the left-hand side, this picture is kind of like this is what the tier four software kind of approximately costs. Might be a little less, might be a little bit more, but that's approximates. And functionality-wise, let's just say it offers kind of, you know, keeping the books, the core GL. You go up to the next level of tier three ERP applications, and, and they might have more complex GL capability, more memorized transactions, uh, more allocation tables, that kind of thing. Uh, but then they also will integrate with other departmental functions, and they usually offer a separate module or something for it. So if you look at, like, Intact, um, Intact is a really good app for technology firms. Um, uh, we're most likely going to select it for an auto financing company that we're working with right now. It's just reviewing contracts this morning on Intact. Um, SAP Business One is a good app for um, wholesale distributors, light manufacturers, um, Sage 200, kind of the same thing. Distributors, Great Plains, GP, it's good GL. Acumatica is a newer SaaS solution. There's a lot of apps that fit in that space, but but they basically offer more than QuickBooks, but not as much as a Tier Two app, which is um, much deeper functionality. And, and it can be very customized to client-specific processes. Now, if there's anybody who represents Intact or uses Intact on the call, I'd say, well, Intact can do those things as well. Um, but we've seen it over and over and over that the platform for like a NetSuite um, has much deeper um, customization capabilities and a client can do it. Very, very few clients will um, customize Intact themselves. So. Um, that's just an example of one of the apps there. Here's a couple others that are listed. So you've got kind of this, you know, tier two solutions. And that's some very general pricing. That's a heck of a range of pricing there. But it's about right. You can do something on the lower, lower end, low, 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 low end for 20000 Actually, we're going to do a deal. Um, we've done some very smaller deals, small deals with NetSuite at that range. But it's usually more like fifty to one hundred to even as much as 250000 for just software. And then, and then we have tier one solutions, which are the big ones. These are the ones that everybody's afraid of for good reason. Um, they're, they're very complex apps. But when you've got a large business, you have complex operations, you have complex requirements, you have a lot of transactions that need to be processed. It's the reason why these applications exist. So, um, you know, especially when you look at like Oracle Stack, uh, they don't really sell eBusiness Suite and PeopleSoft as much as they do CloudFusion. That's their new app. but 
Um, SAP for HANA, Cloud Fusion, Workday, those apps are geared towards um, kind of software as a service kind of in the cloud apps, as well as the Infor solutions too. But, um, but that's kind of a good way to break up the accounting application market. So, um, um, yeah, but I think it's, it's helpful to know, again, who you're talking to and kind of what they do. Now, in, in the accounting space as well, you may come across other applications. Like, for instance, one of those is like Zora. Um, you might hear of Aria or Recurly or Aptis or whatever. And what's happened of recent in the last, probably last four or five years is the financials world has kind of expanded towards sales and the sales applications have expanded towards finance, towards finance, towards accounting kind of back office. And you have what's called this middle office in the middle. And Zura is an example of one of those solutions. Uh, but they do things like for subscription management, like we're working with a, a managed service provider who sells telco software and, um, and services. And so they're, they have a very subscription-based system of billings, configure price, quote, recurring revenue. You know, but then there's also tools for like AP automation or budgeting planning and analysis like um, Adaptive Insights or even Hyperion or Cognos or lots of apps out there. And then there's compliance platforms too that help with SOCs and regulatory reporting and that type of thing. So there's lots of other kinds of financial solutions that, that are in the marketplace. So um, from my perspective, you know, again, I, I we're kind of throwing a lot of stuff out at y'all, but, but th this is really what everything comes down to is this one slide. So if you're looking at changing software, right, don't do it unless you really have to. Um, you know, um, I, I, I work with my wife and so I always use a lot of dating analogies and it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like don't date unless you have to, don't get married unless you have to, but get, you know, do it. Then don't get divorced unless you have to. It's, I mean, it's really true that you're creating a lot of change with software that can really lead to a lot of, of unknown problems that you have to watch out for. So make sure that you really need to change based off the criteria we talked about earlier. And then, and then really understand what you need before you make a single call to a vendor, for sure. What is it you're really trying to look for? What kind of app do you really want and need? And then once you start working with the vendors, you have to drive the selection process. Do not let them do it. They will, they will want to do that. But I will tell you, the, the best vendors will really appreciate it because they want clients that are interested and they know what they want. Um, so it will put you in a good position. And then... Definitely, uh, there's kind of an additional thing here beyond the selections. Get the implementation done fast. Test, of course, the application a lot. But, um, you know, implementation, software implementations are a bit like, uh, like surgeries. I mean, once you got the patient open, you want to get in there, you want to do it, you want to get out. Um, now, again, there's a reason why there's over $40 billion spent in software literally each year just for mid-sized businesses in North America. Helpful. It does um, but just I really want you to understand the risks so that you know what you're getting into. But then once you're in it, go for it. And and we're here. You can certainly give us a call if there's any help that you know, we can provide. Ramona, did you want to talk a little bit about uh, some more tips on post-implementation phase? Yes, thank you, Sean. So I just wanted to share my experience when I go to clients um, who call me in post-implementation to do what they call fix our implemented system because it's not working the way we want it to work. And a lot of times it's not the way the system was implemented. It, it has to do with the training, the way the, the master data was set up, the financial data that was uh, migrated and other uh, procedures and policies that have not been updated. So I want to emphasize the training because I hear from the end users a lot of times I don't like this system. I don't like the new system. It was kind of imposed on us. And it's mainly because they weren't given the opportunity to use it before they had to, before they had to. So it's kind of playing with it for a little while. And I have seen companies that let their users and their accounting teams do use both systems at the same time for like a month. So they, they have to replicate the data in the old system and, and in the new system, the transactions rather. And that way they can see how it looks in the new one versus the old one. What are the additional steps or less steps they have to perform to get to use the system? So training is very important. 
In terms of migrating master data, you can start this earlier. Uh, as soon as the system is implemented, before you have to start using it, you can set up your master data, your chart of accounts, your vendors, your uh, customers. This will save your team members time when they have to actually perform the transactions in a new system. And for the migration of financial data, what I um, refer to here is, you know, you 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 will have to migrate your balance sheet, your opening balance sheet to the new system. That That's a given because balance sheet is a roll forward. You, you have to have the opening balance. You can also choose to bring in last year's income statement just because you want to compare year over year. And if you don't bring last year's P&L, you will have to always rely on two sources of this data. So you can bring in your income statement at a summary level. You don't need to bring it at a transactional level. And that's very easy to do. In terms of the balance sheet, though, um, one mistake I have seen some clients make is that they bring the balance sheet for all accounts. They just migrate the balances. And that creates a lot of headaches down the road because let's say you have 10 invoices for one vendor and they were open at, right before you migrated. But you bring in the total balance for that vendor, not even for the vendor, you bring the total balance for accounts payable. It's so hard to reconcile later on what has been paid and what has not been paid against that balance. So there are some accounts on the balance sheet that you want to migrate at the transactional level, open items as of the end of as of the end of the period where you last used the prior system. This is very important. This is where I do I spend a lot of my time cleaning up these types of discrepancies. And finally, if you are up to date with your procedures, which in a lot of companies are not, but let's say you are one of those good ones and you have procedures for your team members. When you change uh, systems, you want to make sure those procedures are updated because a lot of times procedures refer to the system that you're, you know, they must refer to the system that you are using to perform the task. So it's important to keep it updated should your team members leave and someone comes in the month after you implemented a system, two months later, the procedures are useless. So those are my tips based on what I have heard. Um, out there, what I have experienced, it keeps me busy, but if I can help you make it a little better, it's um, definitely something worth doing. I hope these are helpful and, and stay, you know, come back for future webinars. We have a lot of good information. Um, ERP advisors have their own webinars. I have my own. So just check in for things that might be interesting to you. And I appreciate the time that you gave us today. And I really appreciate Sean's time. Thank you, Sean. It was very good information. Thank you, Ramona, again. We've got another conference coming up here that I'll put on, but um, as we mentioned as well, if there's anything we can offer, please let us know.